So we're starting with uh, following in the steps of Jesus today, and we're going to go on a bit of a journey. Now, we've already uh, covered the first story in the Bible about Jesus uh, because we spent a lot of time in December talking about the Christmas story. That's kind of the... I mean, and you could go back and pick it up prophetically if you wanted to uh, in the Old Testament, but in terms of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, human on earth, the first story is the Christmas story. But... Uh, and, and honestly, last week I shared with you a word called uh, one thing, one thing I do from the Apostle Paul's writings, and, and we talked a bit about vision, because this is still January of 2011, so we're kind of still in that, you know, what's God saying to me for this year? And in fact, uh, Karen and I every year try to take a day away, which is very difficult, honestly. It seems like it shouldn't be so hard, but we do work two different kinds of jobs, and, but we'll take a day away. And uh, since tomorrow is a holiday, we, we're going to go away this afternoon and for tonight, and we'll just have some time together just to pray and, and to look at everything from finances to, to uh, the dwelling place to over the ocean vision and what God's saying to us uh, about us and about our circumstance and situation, how we can come into line with what he's doing this year in our, in our world. And, and I think that that's really important. And I was I, just in my own journal, in fact, a lot, just been back and forth with vision, just a lot of word about what's God saying. I know I use this phraseology quite a lot. I'm learning, even in walking and working in this place, in the dwelling place, that there's strength in uh, redundancy, that if I say some of the things more than once, you'll begin to pick up on them. And I've noticed that, honestly, in walking with Rick, and I mean that in the most positive way, that there are just certain things that he has taught and taught and taught till they become almost embedded, you know, in who we are. And, and uh, the ability then to call on that necessary knowledge when the enemy comes against you is a great blessing. And so, and I'm consistently saying that we need to hear what God is saying to us about us. You know, what's God saying to you about you? Now, now here's my heart. I don't want us to be narcissistic or self-consumed. And, and, and by nature, I'm, I'm very outward focused. I, I want to know what we're going to do when we leave the church today. How is this word going to impact the way we live and who we are? But I know this, that God speaks vision to each of us about us. And he works in our hearts and our lives and that nobody sets us free but Jesus and so even if we were completely cut off, we wouldn't be cut off because God could do what God does. And so, you know, that's, it's just a, it, it is first most critical thing. Paul said it, one thing I do. Even though I'm a multitasker, I'm involved in a lot of things. He said, there's one thing I do. And that one thing was Jesus. I mean, it was Jesus. And he, he talked about it this way, and I'm going to come back to the scripture today. But he said, I press on or, or strain to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, which I think is an amazing directional scripture. It gives us something to do when we get up. I'm going to press on toward the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to press toward that thing that took hold of my life, that, they, that thing that gripped me. So I'm like, God, I'm supposed to start. I'm excited about the stories and parables of, of Jesus, which is you, and, and things, but I still have this word about vision. And I was already, man, I've been studying and working on the temptation of Christ and, you know, the chronology of the life of Jesus. And, and the Lord just, I mean, I was almost in a little bit of a panic. I was like, God, I don't understand. I'm, I got the, I'm, this is what's resonating, but this is where I felt like you said I was supposed to be. And God said, would you please quit, stop skipping Luke chapter 2, verse 41, which says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. Eesh, trouble. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. I would assume that they traveled with people that they knew, family. Uh, certainly before the advent of uh, mass transportation and roads, really communities were mostly family. I mean, you went to church with people that, that, you know, almost everybody was kin on some level. And, and when, you, when you travel to a place, when you go to a third world country and you operate in the village context, villages are a family. That's what they are. There's a patriarch, there's a matriarch who happens, whoever happens to still be living. And there's, there's a family unit that exists and operates. And I'm just going to say that probably Jesus was supposed to be hanging out with the family. Where's all he's, he's probably in he was with. And, you know, and then, but you, because I, you know, I'm trying to defend Joseph and Mary because I just, you know, they left a kid behind and whatnot. So I'm trying to understand that. And, and it says that they, uh, they, but supposing him to be with the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, oh, I was, I was proved out there. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. 
And three days, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, just before you glaze over the story, just for a second, just for the sake of authenticity in approach to a Bible passage. Can you imagine? Three days? Man, I'm in full-blown freak-out mode right then. And I am, by nature, a crisis management kind of cat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I do. I, I, I manage pretty well, but I'm telling you, I told you a couple of weeks ago, when I thought that we misplaced a child for a minute, whoo, uh, that's just hard. It is hard to maintain any level of decorum. Three nights, they had to be livid when they found him. The emotion that, oh my goodness, I would have been in so much trouble. After three days, they found him. Where did they find him? They found him sitting in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to some, Some, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in, look at this phrase, in great distress. Understatement right there, though. <laughs> great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house or about my father's business? And so they, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. I don't know if that's just, you know, like Luke's way of putting it mildly. What? <laughs> okay. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and checked this out and was submissive to them. Good call, Jesus. And, and his mother measured up all these things, though, in her heart. She's treasuring. She's, she's putting them up. And she treasured all, up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in, the favor, and in favor with God and man. Which that sentence, verse 52, is one of those, it's a gap filler. It's very important. It's on point. It says something significant. But it covers, it goes, we take that from 12 to 31 right there. Because the next passage, John the Baptist is baptizing. And here comes Jesus grown and, and ready to begin his public ministry. Lord, I pray again. I just need to pray. Lord, that Lord, especially is in relationship to, to redeeming time right now, that, uh, Lord, you help me to be able to do that. Uh, and to that effect, Mitch, could you find the little clock that goes on this stand is missing. And I will be more conscious of time if I don't have an ability to see what time it is. So for some people, that's not true. Don't think that I'm worrying about it. It just helps me. Uh, it helps me. I love our children's ministry workers. <laughs> and I want them to love me, too. <laughs> So it helps me to kind of have an idea. Oh, I grabbed the wrong one. See, that's what happened. That's why that stand was uncooperative. I was like, dude, I am not your stand. Anyway, thanks, Mitch. Yeah. Lord, I pray that you would help this word, God, to be communicated in a way that will have an impact into our hearts and into our lives and say from it what you once said. Lord, I'm sure that it's going to be, it's going to be necessary according to your will and purpose for me to uh, choose not to say some things that are in these notes. And I pray that you would just give me wisdom about that. Help me to say less more effectively instead of more quickly um, and erratically. So, God, give me grace for that uh, and give the hearers grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, his, his response to his mom was that he, he said, don't you understand, though, that I... I think a part of it was that he, he made an unsafe assumption. We do that sometimes as kids, you know. I do that sometimes as an adult, especially as a husband. I try to just get out of the assumption business. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to be out of it because assumptions hardly ever work well for me. But Jesus kind of made the assumption that they would know when he got there. I mean, I'm sure they've been listening to him for a while, you know. I almost see a little bit of the spirit of Joseph, you know, when he, he saw those dreams and visions. And I, I suspect that Jesus was communicating. He was a kid. He was, he was God, but yet cloaked in humanity. And he was 12. I love the Rich Mullins song that says, You were a boy like I was once. I was a boy like you. Yeah. And I think sometimes we miss the memo on that. And he was a boy. And, and he was walking and he was growing and he was learning and he went through puberty. And, and if I'm making you uncomfortable by talking about our Savior that way, that's the way he wants to be talked about. He, he chose to be Emmanuel. He is, is the God of John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I think he made an unsafe assumption based on all the conversation that they had had that they would know that he was just hanging out in the temple. You know, and he, and he says to them, I must be about my father's business. And it occurs to me that, that a lot of that awareness, it, obviously it came from his relationship with the father. And, but I want to say to you that I believe Joseph and Mary did a good job. 
I believe that they cultivated in this life who God intended for Jesus to be. I think they, they were stewards of the great gift that God gave to this world. Can you imagine that? That's just fascinating to me. And so I don't think that they were completely taken aback when he said, I must be about my father's business. I'm sure, though, that for the next several years, they encouraged him to approach that in a slightly more accountable manner because the word says he was submissive to them, <laughs> which says to me there was something that he had to submit to. Doesn't mean, I'm going to say to you that there are times when, when our, our 5-year-old or our 10-year-old or our 12-year-old, you know, there, there's much to do in raising kids. And, and much of their response to what we're doing and investing and pouring in them is not sin. It's growth. It's a process of, of growing. And, and I know some of you had a conversation with a parent this week who was stressed out about a certain scenario with one of their kids. And I just I reminded them, you know, it's okay for them to be kids as long as you'll be a parent. And, and this story, I'm sorry, that's not really what the word is about today, but it fascinates me. But just that, even at 12, and this is what I wanted for our sons, one of which was on the stage today playing guitar with the, with the cool hat. And, and, but we've wanted to cultivate in them the thing that God had made them to be. How many parents can say like amen or whatnot there? We're stu- you're a steward of that little blessing right there. And we want to cultivate that that is in them and and i think that that's what we're seeing we're seeing we they gave us the the word of god gave us a brief look a window into the into the childhood the the preteen years of of jesus christ in this moment and the point was simply for us to see that he was on point that he understood a bit about life vision. Maybe I'm sure he wouldn't have used the terms that we used, but he already had a sense of, I'm going to use several words here to say the same thing, and none of them, it's because none of them for me actually complete the definition, but he, but he had a sense about calling. He had a sense about divine destiny. He had a sense about a life mission or vision. He had a sense about the master's master plan. He called it the father's business. He said, don't you understand? I've got to be about my father's business and it's interesting too because this this there is a phrase that i just used life vision that has become uh it's 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 very hip it's it's cliche it's uh it's a very common term that's used in the in the business world right now it's just like a buzz phrase and and there are actually companies and if i weren't a follower of jesus christ i might be compelled to have one myself but there are companies that they focus on uh, motivating people toward their life vision. There are, there are websites like uh, lifevision.org and .com. And, I mean, there are people, and, and, but when they talk about life vision, for the most part, there are some Christian uh, organizations like this as well. But they're talking about, you know, you getting your dream job or, or, or how, to, you know, how to live out that, how are you going to get that house or that income. And so they talk about that kind of life vision. And I'm not going to say that there's not a place for that, but I need you to know that I'm talking about something that goes a little bit deeper, a whole lot deeper than that today. Because the Bible, the Bible gives reliable and pragmatic information about our calling, our divine destiny, our, our life mission, our life vision. This is the right place to look for that. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. And he said to Jeremiah, a scripture that many of you would be familiar with, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Maybe someone's sitting here thinking, you know, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't even, I wonder, what, is, what is God's vision for me? What am I, where, where's my part in God's plan? You know, I don't know that I even really have one. And, and this word says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart for my holy purpose. When they were singing the song a few minutes ago, I will run the race set before me. I will seek your face. As the prize, as the prize of my life. I'm telling you, I could sing that. I Man, I almost made myself hoarse. I know I sing too loudly. I'm aware of that. I'm probably not going to stop. And that particularly touched me. Now, you know that I've, I love to, to speak about 1 Corinthians 9.26. I mentioned it last week. I'll probably mention it next week, okay? Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? 
Now, again, this isn't a competition between us. It, only, it means that only one kind of runner can win the prize, and that's the runner who, who runs the race with diligence and purpose. And Wednesday, this last week, and I've been a mess all week too, but this last Wednesday was my sister Mary Jane's 50th birthday. And she celebrated it in heaven with Jesus. But anytime anyone seems to think that they can't find or, or follow a, a vision that God has for them, that they don't have a race to run, I, I'm compelled to tell them a story about my Down syndrome sister, who I have said to you had more impact in my life than almost anyone else. Because who she was in him shaped me. When all the other brothers and sisters were gone, I, the youngest of five, was still at home. And, and it was me and Mary Jane. before I formed you in the womb. No mistakes. Even, to be, even able to redeem uh, what we would call defect. Hear what I said. Not cause it, but redeem it. I believe God's going to redeem things in the life of James Rogers. I know it. I'm counting on someone who's faithful and worthy when I say that to you. And I also want to be about my father's business. Ephesians 2.10, another scripture you might be well familiar with, says it this way, for we are his. Could we just stop there for a second? For we are his. For we are his workmanship. I'll come back to that. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oz Guinness says it this way, Deep in our hearts we all want to find and fulfill a purpose bigger than ourselves. Only such a larger purpose can inspire us to heights we know we could never reach on our own. For each of us, the real purpose is personal and passionate. To know who God is. To know why we are here. And what it is that God has given us to do. And this word, the word vision, even in the Hebrews, literally means to see. So I'm praying today for that, that we will begin to have a revelation about who it is that God made us to be, what our life purpose is. Nora Watson said it this way. She said, most of us are looking for a calling, not a job. The reality is, Nora didn't say this, this is me, I'll come back to Nora in a minute, but we, we, we often refer to this center or this core or as a calling or divine purpose, but outside of the God world, this calling or purpose could be equated with profession, but the Bible teaches us that God's vision for our life goes deeper than work, deeper than vocation. It's about walk. Again, back to Nora. She says most of us are looking for a calling, not a job. We often have jobs that are too small for our spirit. Some of you right now are trying to... You, you think your life calling is your job, and it's frustrating because it's not... And in fact, if you don't have a job, then what? Or what if, what if your role has changed or morphed and all of a sudden the purpose, the identity that you used to find and what you did is now gone? Who are you? I'm telling you that there's not a job made that can contain the gift that God has put in you, the calling that is inside of you, the life vision that God has for you. They don't make jobs that big. You hear what I'm saying? Nora speaks of those who feel trapped in work and provide, that just provides a paycheck but gives little room for using our gifts or doing something that's personally uh, meaningful. And I believe that that's true. Your life vision, your calling, your God purpose is, now hear this, I'm about to define it, okay, is who you are and that, okay, your life vision, your calling, your God purpose, your divine destiny is who you are. And that impacts what you are. All right, all right. Who you are impacts what you are. And ultimately, it does impact how you live, how you interact. That's the big kahuna manifestation of this life vision. It's in our interactions and in our relationships, wherever they are lived out. And that, of course, ultimately adds up to what we do. But our life vision is so much more than what we do. It's how you interact. It, it's It's... It's going into Wachovia and a teller running around from behind the counter and giving you a hug. Yeah, that happened. But it's because that's who you are. 
That's who you were being you right there. You were living out the what you are, the who you are. The implications are far-reaching. If we could wrap ourselves around this, this is the vision that God has for us. It impacts, again, relationships, family, and following in general. And, and of course, the implications, as I said, go into all the... It, it has to do with what kind of mom and grandma and grandpa or dad or, or brother or sister or, or a fellow church uh, God-chaser follower... Uh, part of the body, the kingdom, all those things, there are implications to that end. Ephesians 4.1, the apostle wrote it this way. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling wherewith or with which you have been called. Now, that was one of my granddad's verses. I've shared that here before. My granddad used to say that. I have, there's a whole uh, teaching that I do just called walk worthy. And, my, and, and, you know, it's tricky because if we're not careful, we'll carry that like a burden instead of see that as a liberation. But when the word says walk worthy, it means that everything you need for life and godliness, as Peter wrote about, is found in his divine nature. It means all of a sudden it's not about my performance, but it is about his perfection. It's not about how uh, on point I can stay with the detail as much as it is how willing I am to follow. Now I said to you before, grace and diligence are not mutually exclusive. In fact, to be resolute or diligent or determined or disciplined, all those things in the kingdom are meant for us to come in the person of Christ through the gift of great grace. And so we will learn to run in such a way. It's God's vision for us. But outside of God, to live the God life without God is is guaranteed abject failure. This is a, a God thing. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 Paul also wrote about it in this way. He said, but when the Holy Spirit controls your life or our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And we usually skim over this one. Self-control. That's it. Now, that looks different for you than it does for me. It's the same, only different. Because each of us we, we are uh, finely tuned to be who God made us to be. And that's important. Sometimes in this context, this is where I would mention the orchestra. In fact, it's getting pretty close, close to Valentine's Day. And so I'm looking forward to once again being able to take Karen to the Roanoke Symphony, Lord willing. And, you know, I want to I hear that. I, last year we, we went for a piano concerto. I told you they let rednecks in if you go with, you know, with... Uh, a fine lady. If you go with someone who has a level of eloquence and grace, then you can get in. But they gave me a lot of cough drops. I don't know why they just necessarily assumed that I would be a cougher. They were right. But I was like, wow, prophetic, uh, you know, host there. <laughs> Stuck a bunch. But in the orchestra, listening to them play always makes me think of this reality. That we were meant to be in the kingdom together because we have uh, complementary life visions and callings. And that I've, I've joked that Karen is a violinist because she, she plays beautifully. Uh, it's Hers are more melancholy but deep and rich tones, and I'm the cymbal guy. Okay? But I have told you that I will play my cymbal without uh, regret, without reserve. Right? I will not be embarrassed or ashamed that my best part to play is because I will be who God made me to be. God has a life vision for me. Our calling is always to know Him. One thing I do, and make Him know. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But the who we are determines in what way that calling comes true in us. Did you hear that? That's the personal part. So, so it will all our calling... Our life vision will always be to know Him and to make Him known, to love the Lord, to love our neighbor. But the way that that's lived out is determined by... That's our calling, and that's what God made us to be. That's how He's finally tuned us. My life vision... Okay, so I could ask you, what's God's... You know, and and understand this. Okay, I know some of you, right now you're thinking, boy, how can He get this specific and narrow? Well, let me say this, that everyone is... We're all multifaceted. We're, We're not that simple but following God can be, right? But we're, we're not that simple. 
You know, whenever you get uh, inside the hood, you start to see, woo, this is a little more complicated than I had thought. And, and anyone who's gotten married understands that. And you, you realize, but still, I believe this, that there are main things. And so that's what I want to, for me, for instance, I think my life vision is to see others. I've said this for a long time. I believe it is that the thing that is in my heart most to do, a lot of other things contribute to it and are expressions of it, but it's to see other people reach their potential in Jesus. That's kind of who I am. I joke with Rick because Rick, in a spiritual sense, he sees pregnant people. I mean, he, just, he, sees, he sees something that, I mean, just at, even at just the point of conception, he just notices, hey, look at how it about. Now, I do that too, but not like Rick does. There are times God graces me to help someone see there's a dream hiding inside of you, and you need to know about it because you're going to have to, you know, treat yourself differently and cultivate that thing to see it come to a healthy point of birth. And so I do that too, but not like Rick. That's a, I mean, Rick's, if he, now if he were here, he would say, well, my life vision is to raise up and release sons and daughters. And that's true, but I'm telling you, the dude sees pregnant people. Just telling you. Now me, I'm more the pediatrician. I get that kid and I go, wow, that is a beautiful baby. Let me help you understand how to help that little guy grow and, and be healthy and, and come to, you know, a point of fruitfulness. So that's kind of where I was. That's a lot of how I operate. I want to see people. I want to release people. I want to get them in Zambia. I want them to be wherever it is that their eyes are going to open wide. I, I, I want to, I, in this church, in this body, you know, I'm that guy that's looking at everyone's job descriptions and portfolios and roles, and I'm just saying, where were they meant to be released? And, and I am, I, it's, it will make me crazy until I get us to that place. I want people in the right place of ministry. When I see someone out of place and frustrated, because it's a life vision for me to see people. But that's not all. For me also, there's, there's a life vision that has to do with wanting everyone to have an opportunity to hear. I just feel like everyone ought to get to hear about Jesus. And, that's, that's, and again, I know that everyone in here, uh, that's a part of the corporate vision that we all share. But for me, there is a different kind of emphasis and focus you've heard me say everyone even in the new river valley project dp new river valley that's what we are we're rebranding dp new river valley dp nrv everyone in our sphere should have to in their lifetime have a real uh deep impactful relationship with the true god follower and that's a conviction that is deep inside of me and it came the the original revelation of this came to me uh back in the 70s, I went to Christ for the Nations with an aunt and an uncle who would do those sorts of things. My dad never left the state uh, except to go to Memphis when his dad was in the hospital. I mean, so we were not big travelers, <laughs> okay? Ironically, go figure. But, um, but an aunt and uncle that were invested in me, I had a cousin that was a couple years younger than me, and we went to Christ for the Nations in Dallas for a fall uh, conference of some sort and I was old enough to be in, in the, like, teen area, but I went to the kids' area because I was very little, and my cousin was two years younger than me, and I wanted to hang out with him. And I got in there. I thought I would be safe. But even in the kids' ministry, man, some lady starts speaking prophetically into my life. She ain't going prophetic on no one else, or at least not that I'm noticing. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But when she got in my grill, and she said, Now, I'm on my way to being an NBA basketball coach. Still had a little hope of playing, but I was noticing that height wasn't necessarily one of my core competencies, if I can stretch competency to relate to something physical. But, and, and, uh, but she said to me, she said, you, you need to go read First and Second Timothy. She said, because you have the heart of a pastor, but the vision of an evangelist. And I was like, lady... I got the heart of Red Auerbach <laughs> and the vision of Pat Riley, man. I'm taking, I'm going to be an NBA coach. I loved my grandpa. I just didn't, didn't think at that point that I wanted to grow up to be him. But again, go figure. And so I read 2 Timothy 4, 5. There's not, there, it's not possible that a verse of Scripture could speak more specifically to me. It says this, but you keep your head in all situations. We're good together. <laughs> Karen's got a really, I mean, she, her freak out fuse is like, what long? 
but she has other giftings that without them I would have no hope for, not success, I'm talking survival, okay? I would not survive. Someone would have to do the things that she does in my life for me to survive. But me, I'm the, I'm the whoa, that's cataclysmic, but it's going to be okay. I'm that guy. I'm the, oh, I'm going to be okay. I think my leg's broken, but everyone be at peace. Meanwhile, you know, I mean, that's who I am. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Back up to the beginning of this passage, what did Paul say to Timothy? He said, preach the word. He said, preach the word. And so, and, and I'm saying to you, I, you know, I, I would encourage you, what are the words that just speak to who you are? The book's big enough. The book is big enough. It's in there. Maybe you need... Maybe you need multiple chapters. I said before, I mean, for us symbolists, the instruction is fairly simple. I would guess if you're a violinist, you've you got to work on some nuances that may be more specific to that sort of giftedness. But for me, it's pretty cut and dried. And it's the life vision. And I finding and living the life vision that the Father has for you. Hear that. The you. The you that you were made to be in the context of the kingdom. For Karen... Karen, no matter where we go or what we do, she will always be the person that makes a safe place for people. That's who she is. She makes a safe place for people. Remember the first time you and your mom came over to our house a gazillion years ago? And I knew that when your mom left, Laura was a student at Tech, and we were campus pastors, and I knew. I knew when your mom left. I knew she wouldn't know what she did. But I knew when your mom left that your mom knew that you were safe. I don't make parents feel good. I have to tone down the vision casting in the conversation with the parent. But Karen, and it doesn't matter. We we can be in Virginia. We could be in Arkansas. We could be in South Africa or Zambia. She will be who she is. She will make people feel safe. It could could be an orphan or it it could be a friend. It could be a brand new acquaintance, but she's going to make a safe place. Her, Her divine destiny she has the heart of a mom. I can say the same thing about you. You make Jesus easy to see. Wherever you go, whatever you add into, you make Jesus easy to see. She's like a window into the heart of God. I'm talking about Kathy Tangalakis. There's just, and, and we all have, some are easier for me to see and to point out, but each of you, each of you, there's something about who you are that, that it doesn't just add value to the kingdom. It's crucial. We said in elders meetings and Here's a guy that sometimes I'm going to... Rick usually tells on everybody. I hardly ever tell on anyone. But there are times when Pat will be in there and he will feel like, you know, he's just the counterbalance and he's trying to sort it out in a completely different way. And, and maybe then he'll start to entertain the thought that he doesn't belong. And I had said to him, we've all said to him, we don't want to do this if you're not in there. We might fall off the end of the earth. Your voice of wisdom isn't valued. It's critical. Because you being you in that context is, it's just non-negotiable. I'm going to buzz through these. That may mean I come back to them next week. Uh, I will, today, the new website, uh, dpnrv.org will be up and running sometime later this afternoon. Look at it. It's it's a still a work in progress, but it is awesome. Matt's doing a phenomenal job. Matt, I will get these notes to you. I assume you can post them right on the website in one of the blog spots or something like that. Um, they're ready to go per your request. I was diligent this week making sure that I had notes. But I'm going to just, I'm going to scoot through these real quick. I'm, I'm only going to take, I will, I will have us out by 1020. Hopefully the children's ministries workers will still love me. Number one, Finding and living the life vision the Father has for you requires action. I want to say to you that that it does it's God ordered action. And we said last week that action does not always equal activity. Okay, there can be a difference. But let's go back to Philippians three twelve. I told you that I would do that. Not that Paul said I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may take hold of that or lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I want you to see the verbiage in this sentence. This this uh, scripture, the Apostle Paul said, take hold. 
He didn't even just say receive, which is a little more passive. He said, take, take it. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. I want to give you a little word of wisdom. To take hold, to get a grip, you got to let go. Here would be my question, because this was God's question for me. What has hold of you that's not me? I mean, and we can make a long list, distractions and addictions and, and all sorts of other priorities. But, but just simplistically, again, in uh, a synoptic way, just this question, what has hold on you besides Jesus? Or let's flip it and say, what have you taken hold of that isn't Jesus? What have you got your hands wrapped around that's not God for you? Are you trying to be someone you're not? Because there's a place where we have to take action. Action doesn't always include activity. Action is intensity. You might be a person saying, you know what, I'm just not that fired up though. I mean, I'm, you know, that's, that's the place where we're different. That's why you're the symbol guy. I'm not as fired up as you. I'm, you know, I'm not always fired up, just a little FYI, by the way. But even if that were true, you might say that you, you're being fired up might manifest itself in a different way. But everybody needs to have a deep, deep passion for the thing that God has called them to be. And intensity. Action is intensity. 2 Timothy 1.6 For this reason, Paul said, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Every one of you, there is a gift of God inside of you and I am saying to you, fan that thing into flame. You are meant to have an intensity. None of us were called to be lethargic. None of us were meant to be apathetic. That is not who you are and if you believe that's who you are, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. That's a lie. That's not true. You can be quiet and on the down low and deeply passionate, plodding forward and toward that thing that God has given you. You've got to take hold of that. I'm really intense about that intensity point. Action is learning and growing. Enlarge the view of vision of what you can do. I said enlarge the vision of what you can do. Here's another way to say it. Call it all possible. Part of the action we need to take is an action that happens on our knees where we say, God, give me your eyes. Let me see. Here, I have a friend, Marvin Dennis, who says this. He says, if you'll do what you can do, God will do what only he can do. And let me say to you, do not do what you think you can do. That don't count. But do what God puts, do what Papa says. Do what the Father puts in your heart to do. And there's a place even for learning and growing, but trying. There's a place to try. I say this all the time. Jesus loves reachers and risk takers. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. Yesterday, Paula was talking about Rick and some of the things that they have done. It turns out that there's more than one Jesus gypsy on the globe. And, and even times when they went and came back and went and came back and different things that happened. And she said, you know, we weren't always on point with what God was doing, my words to say what she said. But she specifically said this, and I quote, but he redeemed it all. He redeemed it all. Better to have tried and failed than never to have tried at all. You say, well, that don't really have a spiritual application. I believe that it does. I believe that if you really want to be in God's will, you are. And that you're going to be out there trying to live out who God made you to be. And it's going to be the way that, that Mary and Joseph cultivated the thing that God had put in Jesus. And that I'm still a kid and I'm still on the grow. And, and I hope someday when I'm, I'm grown up that I'll be all perfect and I'll never make a mistake. But the fear of failure cannot... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It cannot paralyze us. We've got to stay on the go and on the grow. And that means trying. Action doesn't always include activity. But it does include trusting and leaning. My grandma's favorite hymn. You should know this one, Creston. I preached this word in the chapel the, the night that Hyen came to know Jesus. My grandma's favorite hymn was learning to lean. Finding more power than I ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding and living the life vision that God has for you, it requires ownership. Now, part of that we could say, we could go back and we could reference what the Apostle Paul again wrote to Timothy, where he said... Um, where he essentially laid out the reality that he, he said, look, I was chief among sinners. 
but he owned it, you know that, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about owning our failure. I'm talking about uh, surrendering, really, from our perspective, that the ownership is his. First Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, consecrate or reserve Christ as Lord. And be prepared at all times to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. You know, the Bible says a lot of really good stuff. It really does. That's, that, I, I think we ought to preach that verse sometime. That gentleness and respect part really spoke. But the reality there was that Peter was given instruction. And he said, consecrate Jesus as Lord in your heart. If you want to live out the life vision, the divine destiny that God has for you in a, on a daily basis. And remember, we're not even talking about vocation or geography. We're talking about you getting to be you and the difference that that will make in the kingdom and in the world. And I wish we believed that. I wish everybody believed that because then the, the dream that's inside of you would come true because you would realize that it is, it's his to, uh, it's his, I guess what I want to say is, is that God's the one that causes there to be, uh, yeah, the fullness of time and birth. That's scripture too. Child of God, joint heir with this, this ownership issue. We are a child of God. We're a joint heir with and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're an instrument in the hand of the Holy Spirit. So if I choose to be the master of my own destiny, I, I won't live out the life vision that God has for me. And ultimately, ownership comes down to things like hearing and believing and obeying what the Lord is saying to you about you. Almost done. Got four minutes. To find and follow the life vision, the divine destiny that God has for you requires, it takes abiding. There's a place where we just have to abide. And in fact, the ownership, the ownership issue just doesn't work if we don't abide. John 15, 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nada, nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. For this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll want what I want you to want, and I'll give you what you want because I wanted you to want it. It's an issue of abiding. And I want to say to you, stay hungry. I think I said this during worship a minute ago, but the minute that our God walk starts, we start to live that out of memory, we're in trouble. We just know how to do it. But there's a place where just being with God is the... It's, it, listen, this sounds desperate, and on some level it is, but it isn't. It is, blessed are those who recognize their need for God, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We are desperate in this sense that there is no life apart from being connected to the heart of the Father. No life. There's no other source. The vine separated from the branch will die. But isn't that good news to know, though, that this doesn't take a doctorate of theology? Though I'd like to have one. But it doesn't take that. It's not, as they say, rocket science. Hang tight with Jesus who made a way to the Father. I was thinking that this new year, one of the things the Lord was saying to me, listen, you know, we need to keep it fresh. We need to keep it fresh. Routines are good, by the way. I've said that several times. In fact, this morning I routinely got up and brushed my teeth and put on deodorant. And I feel like all of you would appreciate that if you have to stand near to me anytime in the next several minutes. But I'm saying to you that sometimes those things that we do diligently can become something that we do out of memory and, and habit. And so all, that doesn't mean we stop doing it. Just mix it up a little bit. Stay hungry, you know. Um, I thought, you know, I have an app on my phone from the Love Dare. And so occasionally I'll just, I don't even, I mean, we, we, I've done several of that in order and, and that kind of thing, but I'll just flip through and pick one and see if I'm doing it. <laughs> if that's something I've been doing, and if it isn't, I try to add it to the list of ways that I relate to Karen. And I was thinking, man, I just want a Jesus love dare. I'm going to find new ways to love him and know him and connect with him. And I've said to you, if you always sit and read and journal, maybe take a God, just a walk talk with God. Go take a walkabout, as the Aborigines would say. Do something different with God. Just mix it up a bit. Instead of sequestering yourselves, open your Bible and have a conversation with a friend and have your devo time that way. 
Sometimes we just need to change a pace or change a place so we can get a change of perspective and keep it fresh. And then lastly, uh-oh, it's 1020. BJ, why are you not up there? What are you doing? Just kidding. <laughs> lastly, this one's huge for me. But to find and follow the God, uh, the life vision that God has for you requires authenticity. Church, it requires authenticity. Listen, when I first started to minister in church like this, and I had no in, I, I had no intention of anything that would resemble what we might call vocational ministry. In fact, I was trying to run away from that. I was still holding out to be a basketball coach. I was 17 years old when I started to speak regularly in youth, and and the first time I ever spoke in the in the congregation, my granddad was walking off the stage, and he said, "It was a Sunday morning too," and he said, "Hey." Uh, do you have the word for this morning? I want you to share. I'll just tell you that I don't think that was a very wise risk. But I also know that it wasn't for me to sort out. But when I first started out, I really tried to be a preacher. That's what I was trying to be. And now, I don't know what, 28 years later, I'm just trying to be me. I don't have to be a preacher. I can just be me. One of the things the Lord spoke to me this year was that without authenticity, there is no there is no authority. If you want to speak for me, then you have to let me use you. I don't need you to become someone else. I don't need you to shift gears. I need you to bring who you are every Sunday morning. Separate yourself to me. And just let me speak through you. And if you're not good with that, I need you to sit down and stop talking. Like in 1 Samuel 17, when David said to Saul, Woo, you're significantly larger than me. Notably smaller than that guy out there, but significantly larger than me. Hence, I cannot wear your armor. I bet at that moment, Saul thought, well, the gig is up. He just admitted he's too small. But rather, David said, no, but it's no biggie. I can still face Goliath. Be you all the time. When you know whose you are, hear what I just said. Pay attention one more minute. When you know whose you are, you can be who you are. And we are His. Capital H. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Can I say to you that, that Paul gave that word specifically to Timothy because he was young? But can you hear the first part and know that that's not taking something out of context because this is the nature and character of Christ? Do not let anyone look down on you. For any reason. But set as an example or but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love in faith and purity until I come devote yourself to the reading of scripture to the preaching and teaching. Don't neglect your hear that? Not the. He didn't say the. He didn't say don't neglect the gift. There's not a the gift except God. He is the gift. We share that. But he said don't neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, to who you are, so that everyone may see, may watch your life and doctrine closely or he's actually saying to him watch your life and doctrine closely persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourselves yourself and others the hearers literally hearers about the father's business fulfilling uh, you you were made to be in the context of the kingdom very important Lord thank you for today Thank you for this amazing group of people. God, I pray that you'd bring us to a place of 
repentance where we've rejected what you have said about us. Lord, I pray you call our hearts right now to repentance. That, that we would just we would stand on truth and on word and not some sort of false sense of humility that says, well, I'm not good enough. Or, Lord, I just rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And I pray, God, that we all come into a place in this year of understanding who you made us to be and that we live that out. If Lord, that, that someone wouldn't decide, well, I talk too much. No, Lord, that they would just be themselves. Sure, God, a, a God consecrated itself, as it were. Lord, haven't you separated or reserved as the Lord of our lives, Jesus, that you take full ownership? And so, God, in that, your, your hands are on the steering wheel, not ours. But, God, that doesn't change who we are. In fact, it makes us more who we were meant to be. And I just rebuke lies off of people right now who have thought, I wish I was someone else. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And I pray the only difference would be the difference that you choose to make in us. I'll just ask you, if there's a place in your heart, I'm going to ask you to take a moment. And if there's a place in your heart where you've entertained a lie about who you are and what you can or can't be or do, then I'm going to ask you just to take some time and repent of that. And ask the Lord to forgive you, which He would be happy to do, incidentally. And just, just to settle in your heart. To even Maybe you don't know. Maybe, maybe you couldn't answer. If I said, what's, what's your life vision? Maybe you need a friend to walk that out with you. And there's a place for that. I don't think it's... It, it, it could be over a cup of coffee. It's not a place of deep, deep counsel. It's just a place of saying, let's talk about who I am in this thing. And there's a place. But I really believe most of you know. I think that, that you have a contentment with that thing that you do that matters most in God's kingdom. And it's beautiful and you just need to, you just need to embrace that and believe it. So would you just take a minute if that's you? In fact, I, I'm not doing this so I can see, but would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just think there's a place to, by the word of your testimony. I think there's a place here where we need to just make a little bit of a testimony with a raised hand. And if you would say, that's me, I have really disappreciated my place. Or I, I haven't even wanted to try to find it. I just, I don't feel like, and, and I just need to, I want to put that in his hand and I want to repent. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Several have already gone up. You're just getting ahead of me. And there's hands everywhere. And I appreciate that. So would you pray right now? Would you just do business with God? You transact on the grace? And I, I, I just want you to know my hand's up too. Absolutely, my hand's up too. over our hearts I just pray a peace would settle over our hearts and there would be we would call it all possible whatever you say is so is so whatever you say is so is so God grow us into the people we need to be Lord let us make no provision for the flesh let us never say as an excuse for something you're working on in us that's just the way I am but also Lord let us never say I, I have no value in being who I am Lord, cause your Holy Spirit to work in us to bear that fruit that Paul spoke about. That we would fully embrace who you've made us to be. And absolutely um, surrender ownership to let go so we can take hold of that for which you have taken hold of us. In Jesus' name. Amen.